Well, what do you guys want to talk about? Where's Lacey? Where's what? Lacey. Lacey, last week my niece started off the whole conversation by wanting to know about Noah's flood or the flood in Noah's day. And so that basically started off the whole the whole meeting. It could be anything you guys are thinking about. It could be any thoughts you have. Obviously, I always have a bunch of things I'm thinking about, but I I want to try and defer for at least a moment. You should have told us ahead of time. We would have been thinking yeah. about something. <laughs> we should have been thinking we about something. We then. should have did that anyway. But you would have been thinking about it then, huh? Uh, Greg, I have a thought to you. It could, could just over. I know you've done it before. The idea of Jesus talks about, you know, you must hate your father, and, you know, the, the, the general deal where he's saying, you got to accept only me. Mm -hmm. I'm sure at some point there's been criticism of that particular part in the Bible about. You know, you must leave your family. You, you know, no one's more important than you. What's your general thoughts on, you know, why that's stated? Or is it, is it in any way, you know, misstated? Because you, you, he's not telling you to hate your father. No. He's not telling you, if your mother's dead, let somebody else bury him. The brother, whatever it was. He's oh, he said, let the dead bury the dead. Let Whatever. The dead bury. Yeah. yeah. Jesus is a harsh dude. Right? Well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> he would be well received in our politically correct climate. I'm, I'm coming right back. I'm, I'm yeah. listening. Keep talking. Sure. No, no. I'm just, I'm just <clears throat> looking for maybe what your commentary is on that particular thing. You know, how that fits in with, you know, love your neighbor more than yourself. Love yeah. your neighbor as yourself. Or as yourself. Yeah. Uh, make yourself uh, the least in your opinion and everybody else's is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is higher than yours. And then, oh, that's a whole. And then, you know, actually, that's a like a, a sensory dialogue. But I was in a in a. In those a, are all separate a, separate questions. Yeah, and I'm sure they can all tie in together. Um, the. I just wanted to look up the verse. Hate unless you hate your father, just so we can read it. I mean, I know what. I just for people's benefit, I want to read the verse. Um, man, sometimes I don't type so well. <laughs> Spell check. Let's see it, and it might be in more than one place where it says that. Let's see. I thought it was in oh yeah, it is. Matthew 10, 37, 38. We'll just read this and try and keep some of those other questions in the back of your mind. Um he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Is that the yeah. Is that the one you're you're thinking of? Yeah. 
And it's also in um, Luke. Yeah. I think chapter 14. Yep. 26. Yeah, so for me, um, the, the Jewish culture had this idea of what godliness was contained in. And they had this idea of where the kingdom of heaven could be found. And it permeated the whole culture. Like, it, it wasn't just like in a, a small portion of their church culture. It, it permeated their whole society, this way of thinking, right? Now, that way of thinking that was consistent with the Jewish culture was never going to allow anyone to be able to inherit the kingdom of God, right? It's kind of like when Jesus said, unless the righteousness you seek to give you the kingdom of God is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is talking about hating father, hating mother, separating from family. He's not talking about um, actually hating your father or your mother. He's talking about you um, being separated from knowing yourself as Jewish according to the flesh or thinking that the righteousness that can give you the kingdom of heaven is contained in your own works right, or your own ability to perform the works of the law. And what he's saying there is unless you turn your back on that way, right, unless you're willing to lay down that life, which is why he says take up your cross and follow me, unless you lay down the life that you have from the world that's contained in you performing the works of the law to try to inherit the kingdom of heaven, then you're not going to have any part in the kingdom of heaven, right? And a very significant thing was going to happen to those Jewish people. It's not like the culture was just going to be like, yay, Jesus is the Messiah. Hallelujah. We'll just abandon all that and we'll follow Jesus. No, no, no. There was like a significant, like Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. You remember when he said that? He, he wasn't saying he came to make a war, but by him coming and drawing a clear line, it was going, people were going to take sides. I don't know if you, you know this or if you guys have realized it. I think you probably all have. The truth will cause people to take sides. Oh, yeah. Right? Because people will either adopt the truth or they'll line up against the truth. And Jesus was coming to reveal the truth. And he was coming to reveal that uh, the seed, you're not the seed of Abraham because you were born Jewish according to the flesh. Which means you're not the children of Abraham or his seed according to being the strength of your flesh. And so Jesus was saying, unless you hate that way, unless you lay down the way, of your family, unless you lay down the way of the Jewish culture, you're not going to have any part in the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what he's talking about. It's less about a personal thing where there's my dad back there, and now I need to hate my dad, the person, right? He's talking more about uh, hating the traditions of your fathers, right? He, he said that he, in another place, he said, the traditions of man make the word of God of none effect. And so what he's basically saying is, unless you hate the tradition of your fathers, right, you're going to have no part in the kingdom of God, right? But wouldn't you say that the rather radical nature of the way it was communicated was meant to cause them to think about what he was saying? He could have said, well, you know, uh, if you don't, uh, abide by the traditions of your father, which he did say it that way in other locations. But when he said, unless you hate your father and mother, you're not worthy of being whatever. It, it was meant to shock the hearer into thinking about 
where he was coming from when he said those words. And people that are not interested in knowing are going to hear something like that and go the other way. But people who are interested, or like you, what does this mean? It, it, where is he coming from with this? And explanations like Reg was sharing. But, but it was phrased in such a way to, to shock the people into thinking about where their lives were being built, what their lives were being built upon. Not the life that is in this world, but the life that is of the kingdom that actually causes you to love your father and your mother, because that's what the law says. Yeah. The law desires you to, the law of Christ has you loving your father and mother. Does everybody follow what Maurice just said? It's like if you look at Jesus. Jesus, he, he goes on to say, take up your cross and follow me. He that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life shall find it. And so you kind of see the totality of what this means here in Jesus. Jesus wasn't hating a person. He wasn't hating Joseph. He wasn't hating Mary. He wasn't hating James or any of his other uh, siblings. He didn't hate those people. But what he did is he looked at what he could gain from trusting in the strength of his flesh and the traditions of man and uh, the commandments of man, which said the kingdom of God is found in you performing the works of the law or in the strength of your own hand to do a work. He did look at their tradition and he did hate that. And hate in the Jewish culture doesn't mean hate like we think of hate, right? When we think of hate, we think we want to murder somebody, right? <laughs> when the Jewish culture in that context is talking about hate, it's just talking about looking at their way and seeing that their way is not the way unto life. And so you lay it down. And just like Maurice said, Jesus saw that the traditions of, of those people was building their life upon wood, hay, and stubble. And he said they were trying, they were taking thought of their own life and actually trying to find life through their own strength, right? And he saw that life and he despised that life. He despised it, meaning he looked at it and said, that is not the way unto life at all. And that is not how my life will be built upon the rock. And so he lost that life or he laid down that way. He said, the fact that I'm Jewish after the flesh is not what's going to cause me to inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to be that I perform the works of the law that's going to cause me to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And he lost that life. He laid it down. That's what it means that he took up his cross. Right. And in that place, he realized the thing that's going to cause me to inherit the kingdom of heaven is the love of the father for me and not just the love of the father for me. But I'm the son of man. And the thing that's going to cause me to inherit the kingdom of heaven is that the father loves mankind. And so he's not going to allow me as the son of man to end up dead in the grave and be left there. He's going to raise me up from the dead and seat me at his right hand. And so that's what he's talking about there. Right. Does that make any sense? To, oh, of course, yeah. You, yeah. Great, great. You follow uh, what he's saying there? And again, back to, I came to bring the sword. He, he didn't actually come to bring the sword, but he did come to declare the unadulterated truth. And that drew a line in the sand. This is the truth. Well, then that's not, right? And what, what was going to happen, If specifically, if you look at that Jewish culture, what did end up happening? 
those Jewish people that believed on, on Jesus, they were ostracized from the community, right? They were despised, and they felt great persecution. They, they, they couldn't interact and, and barter and trade and sell as, as well as everybody. They were scattered abroad. And so a sword was created. Now, you, you can imagine you felt great pressure to go back to the other way, can't you? Right? People despising you in the marketplace. No one wants to hang out with you anymore. You got like a scarlet letter on yourself because you're believing in this guy, Jesus, that he's the Messiah. Well, the rest of the community is saying that he was a false prophet and that he was a blasphemer and he was cursed. Look, he hung on a tree. And, and so you have that kind of thing going on. And unless they hated the light, unless they turned their back on the life they could get from the world, Jesus was saying, you're not going to have any part in me, right? And you're going to feel heavy weight from the traditions around you to change, to be conformed. And he's telling them, take up your cross, have fellowship with the faith that was in me when I was being crucified. And that will cause you to lay down the life you can have from this world. And you will inherit the very life of God. That's kind of what he's saying. And you can look at it for us. We'll just use us as an example. Um, the majority of the American church and probably churches elsewhere think that um, you got to tithe 10% of your money in order to be blessed by God. Right? Well, that's the tradition in this place. Would you guys agree? That's right to agree. Well, I've hated that tradition. <laughs> I've hated it. And I've actually laid down the light I could get from that tradition. So that I might partake of the life that God has in himself. Now listen, I'm despised by many people, particularly ministers, because I hate that way, right? And because I don't preach that way, right? And so there's pressure for me to go back to that way, right? I could have a better life if I go back to that way. In the world, not in actuality, but in the world. You, you see the dynamic that he's getting at there? And, you know, they had just, all those same people maybe had just seen Jesus heal the paralytic, heal this person, that person, and then he attacks that culture. And so they're saying, wow, I see who this person is. He's the son of God. And it's revealed to him. But then, the, then that statement causes him to question, like you said, their traditions. Yeah. And nope. so that was like the line in the same and we do really need to, to question our traditions i mean that's one of the reasons why we call the church gospel revolution church because we needed a revolution in the way we thought about god all of it and all of it a lot of it was built on tradition and not really on the gospel right does anybody want to follow up do you want to follow a follow-up question no, with that no what was what was some of the other things that you, you no no i i was i the only i didn't it wasn't even a question that statement in comparison to uh, love others as you love yourself. Right, right. Love, love. No, I was just saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. How is that generally fitted together on a statement that's contradictory to the other? I see. But, but, but saying, I'm, I'm not even saying love your neighbor. No, no, I see what you're saying. If you just took them side by side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If no. you didn't. It, that's it, not, not really a question. And if you didn't elaborate on them. Yeah, he's exactly. not actually or, or find out where he was coming. Yeah, he's not actually talking about hating a, a person. Right. He's talking about looking at the traditions of your culture and turning your back on those. Right. If you go and read in the scriptures, it talked about John the Baptist preaching 
right? One crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. And what was John the Baptist always preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the Pharisees come up, and oh, brood of vipers, right? He calls them, and he tells them to come with fruits that are meat for repentance. Don't come saying you're the children of Abraham, right? And that's the fruit that's meat for repentance. He wasn't saying, you Pharisees, go clean up your act. And then that will show that you have repentance. I mean, for so long, we've been hammered repentance according to the traditions of man, which is that you got to stop all the bad behavior you're doing. Where repentant meant, meant to change your thinking, right? And most specifically with the Pharisees in the Jewish culture, the message was to turn away from thinking that you can inherit the kingdom of God by the strength of your flesh on account of you being Jewish, after the flesh. No longer, don't look at that as if that's the power to you inheriting the kingdom of God. Don't look at all you're doing and the good works you can do. Don't look at all the good fruit you can gather to yourself as if that's the power into you inheriting the kingdom of God. Turn away from that thinking, for the kingdom of God has drawn near to you. You guys have been busy thinking the, the kingdom's contained in you climbing up into heaven by your own uh, efforts or going down into the pit. By, and coming out by your own efforts. But the kingdom of God is contained in how the kingdom drew near to you, right? And so Jesus was also saying that, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is found. And when he says repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near or is nigh, it connects deeply to that verse. He's saying, turn away from the traditions of the world. Turn away from the traditions of man. Turn away from the traditions that your fathers have taught you so that you can inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about there, right? It's not a physical hating of a person. It's like the traditions of um, go throughout the world and preach a gospel. If you, I've heard many times, what, have you done that, Billy? Uh, I haven't gone throughout the world, no. You, you probably aren't even a Christian. Right. So the Mormons base the Mormons would be one where they base their like, two years you take out of your life and, and that's the evidence that they love God and they're serving him. And so they put that that tradition in there like like the Jehovah Witnesses. You have to knock on doors. So many people are gonna go to only so many people go to heaven. And it depends on how many doors you knock on. Yeah. That's another tradition. Anybody have any thoughts about that? I like how the Lord said, you nullify the word of God through your traditions. Yeah. Mm. yeah you make void the power contained in the incorruptible mm. seed yep. by your tradition. And traditions are made by the fathers and the predecessors. That's right. And so we got okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, we got to like the, the verse that B Billy brought up. We got a whole lot of traditions. I mean, they even call it the Great Commission. Yeah. Do you know, you know what words aren't in the Bible anywhere? The words, the Great Commission. <laughs> Those words aren't anywhere in the Bible, actually. Amazing. Amazing. But we built a whole doctrine out of it. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't some instance in the Bible that talks about uh, preaching to the whole world. But if you look at what was going on there, it, it's Jewish people Jesus are talking to. And Jewish people thought that the kingdom of heaven was only for them. Remember when Peter was up on the 
the the the roof and he had the vision rise up and kill and eat and peter's like not so lord i've never touched anything that wasn't clean right and god was trying to get peter to go to Cornelius' house and preach the gospel to a gentile guy now the jewish people at that time did not think that the kingdom of heaven was for gentile people and so when jesus tells the disciples go ye into all of the world what he's doing is he's talking specifically to jewish people and telling them that the gospel is for everyone those guys already wanted to go and preach the gospel. And the point that he's making is the gospel is not for just Jews and it's not for just Gentiles, right? God has torn down the wall of enmity that existed between the two people in their minds. The gospel is for all people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. So don't just walk around Israel and preach the gospel, but go into all of the world around you. Go into Antioch, go into Galatia, go into Ephesus, go into all these places preaching the gospel. And that's what Paul would come and say. See, Paul didn't say, God gave us the Great Commission, and that's why I took the message to the Gentiles. If you read what Paul says, Paul says, I was arrested by the love of Christ for all people. And he, what he goes on to say is, he thus judged that if one died for all, then all were dead. That means everyone had missed the mark, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. And he says, though we knew Jesus after the flesh once upon a time, we're no longer looking at heaven and seeing Jesus as if he's a Jewish guy. We're no longer judging Jesus by the flesh. And so what we judge when we see Jesus is we see there's a man seated at the right hand of God having to inherit the kingdom of God inside of his physical body. And what we see about that man and us seeing that he's neither Jew or Gentile is that that's what God wants to do with every human's life. And so now we're going into all of the world, telling Gentiles and Jewish people, right, about the new man, right, that's neither Jew or Gentile. And that's the, 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 the way you connect what, what Paul says and and what is spoke about, and I think it's the Gospel of Matthew, and maybe also the Gospel of Mark. I, I've been on this kick. We do a very poor job, and I don't mean you and I. I mean as a whole in the body of Christ. Ministers, specifically, do a very poor job of weighing the Scriptures in the balance and weighing things out, right? We, we, we don't rightly divide the Word. And so I'll give you an example of how you do that. So you can read in Matthew and Mark where it says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, right? And you could sit with this idea, well, that's a, a great commission. He's telling us we have to go do that. Well, what you're designed to do is realize that all the apostolic letters, the letter to the Romans, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, the letter of James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Philemon, uh, Jude, all those letters are containing the doctrine of Jesus explained. And so all those letters are explaining what Jesus taught. Do you know what you can't find in one of the apostolic letters? Not even one sentence about the Great Commission. Not even one phrase about it. And so that's supposed to be an indication to us that if we think that we read that verse in Matthew and we perceive it to be some great edict handed down to every single person in the body of Christ. Well, we don't find that same kind of teaching in any of the apostolic letters. And that ought to be a big red flag about whether or not we're understanding it properly, right? But what you do see 
in the apostolic letters is Paul himself describing the power behind his preaching in, in all of the world. And Paul most certainly did preach in all of the world. And he, what he comes and says is, is the reason he went into all of the world is he no longer judged people after the flesh, meaning he no longer looked at people as Jewish or Gentile. He looked at their, there's one new kind of a human being, right? And this kind of a human being has been promised eternal life by God. So every human has been promised eternal life by God. So I'm not just going to go into the synagogues and tell Jewish people about this, but I'm also going to be telling the Gentile people because I see that Jesus died for everyone. If he died for everyone, then that means all were in need of having life. And so now I'm going to go and tell everyone that the Father has promised them life, and that life is in his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's where you see the interpretation of what Jesus is saying in Matthew and Mark. You see how Paul comes and elaborates about why he went into all of the world. And so you see Jesus say, go into all of the world. And you see Paul, he goes into all of the world. And he explains to you why he goes into all of the world. Because he saw that, the, that Gentiles and Jews, there's no more Gentile and Jew. There's no more male or female. There's just human beings, and they've all been promised life by God. And so that's why he went into all the world. You see the way that works itself out and how you use that to interpret doctrine? right? You, we, 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 for so long, we, we make a habit of building our own doctrines, right? And we think our doctrines work for us, right? That's why we have them, because we think they're doing something for us. But most of our doctrines have uh, resulted in in making God very mechanical, and making our relationship with God very mechanical. It's, it's kind of stripped the personhood of God, our doctrines. And we no longer are having this intimacy or this dynamic interaction that's relational with God. But what we're rather having is all these doctrines about what we're supposed to be doing for God, right? And then we, that's the, 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 the Christianity that we have in the world. So I hope that makes some sense. Did everybody see the tension there? Mm. Right? Go ye in all into all the earth. That's basically Jesus saying what Paul said. That's essentially Jesus telling these Jewish guys, we don't know anybody after the flesh. Though we once did know people after the flesh, you see how I'm come out of the grave now? I'm no longer a Jew. I'm not a Gentile. I'm the new kind of a man where you're not knowing me after the flesh anymore. So when you look at people and you see the people, you're no longer knowing them according to the flesh and looking at them and deciding whether the promise is for them based on whether they're Jewish or Gentile. We're not doing that anymore. The two That's what he's saying. That's what he's trying to say. The two have become one. That's what Jesus is trying to tell those Jewish guys. The two have become one. Right? Whereas before you thought the Gentiles were outside of the covenants of promise, they're not outside of the covenants of promise. They are smack dab in the middle of the promise. Right? So go and tell them about the promise also. That's all he's getting at. Like, like mm -hmm. Mo said, that, that's such a profound thing that Jesus said um, because the Gentiles were not only not just despised, but hated. They wanted nothing to do with them. And it was vice versa. But now you want to tell me we're going to involve them in this? 
no, this this can't happen. Yeah, but and you know, and Paul uh, Paul had a tough job. Yep, there would have definitely been tension on both sides. Mm. Animosity exists when people uh, despise each other. Oh yeah. And if you're the one being despised initially, and you could argue, I mean, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Who really cares? Both Jewish and Gentile people were despising one another in that day, right? And to try to, to assess the initial fault, I think, is missing the point. It doesn't matter if there was an initial fault to be had. They were despising each other, right? Yep. Harvey thinks chicken came Chicken came first? Oh, any, um, I wanted to kind of go to a practical type question just because I got in that accident, you know, and uh, that's the closest that I know of that I've almost died. And uh, I had talked to you before church about, you know, so at first, you know, I mean, everybody was telling me and I was agreeing, uh, you know, God was with me. And then I found out that three people died in that accident. And then I was thinking that thought that you always hear, well, why did I survive and other people didn't? Why wasn't God with them? But I knew that's a trap, you know? It's like, okay, I can't go there. So I guess in some ways I just shut it out. I said, I'm not going there. And then I talked to you, and you, uh, we really didn't go too far into it, but what words can you give to people? Because... We talked later on, we found out other people that have been involved with loved ones being hurt really badly. And uh, what words of comfort can you give the individual and then the people that we know and love, or maybe people we just meet, that know a loving God didn't do this to you, or God's not ignoring you, or those other people, God didn't ignore them. What kind of words can we use, you know, from the Bible that uh, make sense of this? Because, uh, like I said, I, I didn't fall for that trap, but I did think it for a little while. Like, why me? And why didn't those other guys, people, survive? And, uh, you know. Well, I, I, I don't know that you're going to make sense to the carnal mind. And that's what you're grappling with. You want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, when, when, I, when I think about what you're saying there, I think about another issue. Why do we live in this country with the comforts and the, that we have in this country? And they have people over in Africa or Asia who are eating rice in bowls from a mud hut and who are undergoing severe persecution. You see what I'm saying? It's a similar thing. Why, like, why did, why did I survive this accident and other people passed away? Well, well, why, mean, why are we here? Devil's advocate with you and say that's the form of government they've had and they created in those places. We created a government, but that's carnal. It okay? is. It is. Right. But I'm just saying it was an accident. It just yeah. the road gave way. Seven cars plummeted in, a nine a month with it. And that's just, but as they're called, the insurance companies are calling it an act of God. Right. You know? Well, uh, is it an act of God? And, that, and this is where I'm kind of getting at, and the, the parallel that I'm trying to draw here, is that is it an act of God that we 
are like blessed in comfort in this country and that they're cursed in there is that an act of god or no, i don't see i don't look at it that way uh plus i mean we're going through some curses nowadays in this country too we're being we're undergoing a lot of persecutions and stuff and and that's i think that's directed by the carnal minds that are challenging this country right now i'm just talking about a plain old accident you know yeah. like like the road gives out well, for money. Try and allow him the analogy so he can get to his point, though, Harvey. Okay. Right. Don't don't so, don't yeah, stumble right, right. over the analogy. Okay, so that's, yeah. That's don't the way stumble it, over the analogy because what it amounts to is there are injustices that exist in the world mm -hmm. as well, just in socially, politically, whatever. And there are uh, like injustices that you might see in incidences, like an accident where I survived and the other guy passed away. Okay. And you wonder, why did that happen to them? Why didn't it happen to me? But we live in a world that is uh, compassed by death. And, and it's in disarray. There is injustice. All of these things exist. The real issue is how do you exist in a world where there's injustices and where some people are killed and some other people, air, airplanes crash into buildings and some people died and some people lived. Why did I live and why did they die? What is this all about? Is Did God bless me because I lived and curse them because they died? All of these questions can come up in our minds. But the real issue is for those who live, how do I overcome the death we see in this world? How do I live a life that overcomes the death that I see in this world? How do I feel uplifted and full of joy in a life where all of these things exist. And that's the only thing for me that actually counts because injustices do exist. You see things you don't like that you wish were different, but you can't change. So how do I live in this life where I live above those circumstances? And that is by knowing that you've been given a life that has overcome the world. I have a life that has overcome all the death that exists in the world in knowing that and understanding it, coming to grips with that. So it's not trying to figure out why these things are. It's how do I live where these things are, but above those circumstances. Does that make sense? I'm thinking about it. Right. Another, yeah. another way to look at it a yes. little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So our daughter has a serious mental illness, and right now uh, she's stable. Of course, that could change tomorrow. As far as, uh, but we're in these support groups, and people's lives, their loved ones, they're being consumed. Really, and some of these trajectories are like they're being consumed completely as far as their loved one. So it's like the person is dead. The person that you thought was there in that body, but they're still walking around. So it's even quite horrific because you can't just put them in the ground. They gotta, they're walking around, but yeah. that person's dead. So it's the idea that for us, you know, whether or not the situation changes with these fine parents concerning their loved one, it's still up to us, you know, just to uh, cling to the, the goodness of God whether we understand it or not, 
and that the resolution is on the other side. So Elizabeth Elliot had to go over the scripture with her two-year-old girl. You know, a thousand may fall at one side and 10,000 at the other, but God will save me. Well, that was true for that fellow. It wasn't true for that little girl whose you know, father was murdered. And so the idea is whether you're, uh, no matter what befalls you, or their survivors, if you will, as far as it's still a matter of, uh, it's just belief in the, it, just faith in the goodness of God and that you'll see on the other side, uh, like you know, God was telling Job, dude, I mean, you're bitching and complaining, but you, I've been around here a lot longer than you have. I, you know, know more than you do, you know? So like this, it's the same thing as far as, uh, uh, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, both of y'all do. I, I just think, I, I mean, you, see people you're talking in ways that I haven't sense. thought, so I have to. Sure, of course, yeah. absolutely. No, no doubt. You, you, you're never gonna comfort the carnal mind. Right. And so that's many times that's the issue that's going on is that the carnal mind is crying out. You don't like the suffering that you hear coming out of the carnal mind and you want to try to comfort the carnal mind. The carnal mind can't be comforted, right? Because the carnal mind wants life from the world. Oh. The carnal mind wants a life that can never die and it wants it from the world. And, and one of the things Mo said was the the person that died was cursed and the person that lived was blessed. That's definitely the carnal mind because the person that died really is the one that was blessed. Because now where is he? If he's, he was saved when he died, he's with the Father. Yeah. I mean, how much more blessed can you be? You know, so it's just a little monkey wrench into the way that the thing's said and thought. That's the carnal mind there again. Reasoning. Yeah. No, and that's an excellent point. Paul said, of course it's better. For me to transfer to the other side, but I got some responsibilities here I'm supposed to tend to. So sure, well, what you're saying. So God's course. blessing both of them, really. Right. That that whole line of reasoning is the carnal mind, mm -hmm. right? And you're reasoning from the position as if life and death is found in this world, right? And that's how you're judging it. Yeah. So you you can't comfort the carnal mind when they're suffering. Neither should you try to comfort the carnal mind when it's suffering because you can't. Right, we, Linda and I were just talking, and when we were in the hospital, the woman was in such grief, it was just the carnal mind coming out of her. It wasn't her, but the suffering and grief has a voice. And if you're in the middle of it, sometimes it's coming out. Absolutely. Now listen, I didn't even try to comfort that woman. I just let that woman unload on me, and I just hugged her and told her it was going to be okay. So I didn't even try to unwind because I realized whatever I had to say to her in that moment, it wouldn't have been spoken to the carnal mind. And that's what she was bewailing with at the moment, right? The only thing that would have comforted the carnal mind in that place is if I could have come and told her how she could have a life from the world that could never die. And, and that would have brought the comfort. But that's not, you can't have that. I just want to read these verses in, in Luke 13. There were present at that season some that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or how about those 18 
upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Do you think the reason that happened is because they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Nay, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Right, and so he's kind of attacking that kind of a mind. The carnal mind wants to get into uh, separating people based on the tragedy that's befallen them in the world, as if it's some kind of a sign that God is either for them or not, or that they're a sinner or they're a saint or not. That's the way the carnal mind thinks. Now, Jesus obviously blew this up because what did Jesus look like when he was nailed to the cross? Did it look like God was with him? Yet God was with him. In fact, you you could even go on to say we have one, one God, the Lord our God. You could even say that is God, and it would be true. And so the carnal mind looks at trauma and the tribulation that happens, and if it happens to some people, then the conclusion the carnal mind makes is God isn't with them. If it doesn't happen to other people, the conclusion the carnal mind makes is, oh, well, God must be with them, right? Well, that was keeping people from seeing that God was with them because there's death in the world and everybody was going to encounter some form of death in the world at some time or another. And if every time we encounter tribulation, we think that's a sign God's not with us, then woe is us. So Jesus came to blow that kind of a thing up where we could comprehend that even in the midst of the pit, even should we find ourselves in hell, it's not a sign that God isn't there with us. Even should we find ourselves with death encompassing us, it's not a sign God's not with us. It's not a sign we're not blessed. It's not a sign that we're cursed and those people over there are blessed. That's not what it's a sign of. It's a sign that by one man, Adam, death entered this world. And we all need to be saved from that death. Right? And there's no varying degrees of death. We all leave in this world dead. Right? I mean, I guess the, if some of us may be here when the Lord returns. Okay? If it's, if it's coming soon. But other than that, we all leaving this world dead. Well, who says it's better to leave the world dead at this time than that time? Who says it's better to leave this way or that way? Who says? And that's what Jesus is talking about. You guys are busy asking questions about whether or not these people were bigger sinners than these other people because a power fell on them. Listen, man, whether, whether the, the, that has nothing to do with any of this. The only thing that matters is whether we were, you guys repent from trusting in your own strength for life. Otherwise, you're going to perish too. So it doesn't matter when someone perishes. It matters, do they have eternal life? It doesn't matter what darkness in this world can come upon somebody. What matters is, do they have eternal life? That's what matters. And the carnal mind is looking to be comforted. But it doesn't want the thing that has the comfort in it. The only thing that can comfort you is the word of a life that overcomes death. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And what did Jesus say that the Holy Spirit will do when the Holy Spirit comes in John 16? He says it will prove the world of sin, of sin because they don't believe on me. Well, it's the gospel of John, Jesus says that in. And if you go back and look right before he says that, Philip, I think, says, hey, show us the Father and then we'll believe. So there he was not believing in Jesus because Jesus comes and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Silly clown? <laughs> so the unbelief Jesus is talking about, the Holy Spirit reproving us of, is the unbelief in the goodness of the Father to be with us, to save us from death. 
That's why it says he'll reprove you also of righteousness, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes. He says of righteousness because I go to be with my Father and sit at the right hand of God. As what? As the Son of Man. And so the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. Because in the midst of this world, where there's death going on all around us, listen, that death is going to try to tell us, where's your God now? That death is going to try to tell us that we're not the blessed of God, that God is not with us. And the Holy Spirit, its ministry is to intercede in our hearts in that place and bring us to the place where we see that God is with us because we see that God was with Jesus, conquering the death that come upon Jesus. Right. And we see that God is not far from us. We see that his face is actually shining upon us because we see what he did with Jesus's life. And we see he did that with Jesus's life because that's what he wants to do with our life. And that's what he intends to do with our life. And that's what the Holy Spirit is there doing. And the Holy Spirit, that's why the whole dynamic is called comforting. I know our carnal minds don't want to understand this, but it's actually comforting to be reproved of sin. It's a comforting kind of thing. It's not a rebuking kind of a thing. Yet God's rebuking the accuser in your presence so you can be comforted by seeing that God is with you even when you're naked and dead in your sin and you can see he's with you to justify you. You can see he's with you to remove the accusation. He's with you to be the father that you need. He's with you to care for your life. That's the reproving of sin. Because when you're in the middle of death, you're busy thinking no one's there to care for you. No one cares. Nobody knows the trouble I see. You're busy thinking God's far from you. Where is God? How could this happen to me? What's going on? The reproving of sin is the Holy Spirit will intercede in your heart in that place. And he'll show you the Father is with you. And the way he'll show you the Father is with you is he'll point to Jesus, the Son of Man. And then he'll say, look at you. You're the Son of Man. Remember when Jesus was nailed to the cross and it looked like he was all alone and nobody could comprehend that God was with him? But look, God was with him because look where he is now. That's the reproving of sin. It comforts you. It's like Isaiah come and said, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Tell them that where their iniquity was causing death to reign over them, that I have given them double. Let's just read it. We'll just read the verse. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the, the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, I just wanted to draw a picture here because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, there's Isaiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye. My people. Now, it has an application in Isaiah, but it has a prophetic application about the Holy Spirit. And so you could see when Jesus ascends to the right hand of God and sits down, you could see the Father and the Son talking with the Spirit. And you know what they would be saying to the Spirit? Comfort ye, comfort ye, our people. Tell them, listen what he says, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, For she hath received with the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know, when you look at that, the Hebrew, you know what it actually says there, that last sentence? Because what it sounds like there, (laughs) which isn't very comforting at all, what it it can read like in the English language is that God punished them double. Right. (laughs) Listen, man, that's not very comforting. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because listen, it's one thing if I got to take my lumps, 
But if I if I got to be busy with this God that's giving out double lumps when I earned one lump, that's a big problem. That's not very comforting. What about double, the next double of grace? What about the next mean. time? Well, and it's interesting that Maurice says that because in the Hebrew, what it actually says there is tell them that the mercy in my hand is double. That's right. The death of their iniquity. Tell them that where their iniquity is causing death to reign over them. That the grace in my hand, the grace in my life has superabounded over their iniquity, where their iniquity was causing death to war against them. Tell them how I come and accomplish their warfare by superabounding over the death that was reigning over them with the grace of my life. And that's the Holy Spirit entering the earth. The death that we see. Do you know what it's trying to tell us? Look what's happening to you because of sin. And the Holy Spirit is in the earth to comfort us by telling us that God has accomplished our warfare. That though this death has come and knocked on our door, God has superabounded over that death with the life that's contained in his Christ. Right? And in that place, it brings comfort to us. We see the prince of this world judged is what ends up happening at the end of chapter 16. How is the prince of this world judged? Well, the prince of this world was busy accusing mankind and accusing God and saying that mankind is not the children of God and God is not the father of mankind. And even if he calls himself the father of mankind, he's not a very good father because look at you. Look at your life. Look what's going on. Well, God judged against the serpent. He removed the accusation. How did he remove the accusation? He showed up and took the guy that was naked and brought him into the heavenlies and sat him down, clothed in immortality. What you going to say about me as father now? What you going to say now about me as father? What you going to say now about mankind as my children? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And the Holy Spirit is in the earth reminding us of that judgment. Because I promise you, every time we encounter death, it's trying to accuse us and God. That's what it's trying to do. And whether we're feeling accused or whether God's being accused in our midst, that's the same thing for us. We don't like that. If we think God's falling short, serving us with what with our needs, that that's not going to feel nice. And if we think it's on account of our sin, that's also not going to feel nice. Well, the Holy Spirit judges those accusations in our presence, right? By showing us what God did in Jesus. I know the death is telling you that God's not a good God. I know that the death in the world is telling you, how could God be only good if this death was going on? I know the death in the world is uncovering your nakedness. And I know that it's trying to compel you to take up your own life. But I'm here to show you that those things are lies, that they're not true. Behold your God. And then he points to Jesus. Right? And all of a sudden, we don't see the death as being this strong Goliath soldier warring anymore. But we see the death as a decapitated giant who's been left in the grave. And we see that the death that was against us has been decapitated by the God that came and superabounded over our sin. And that brings comfort to you. And that's why the whatever way you want to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit, if it's not as something that comforts people, you don't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The reproving of sin is Him comforting you. And the way that He, he reproves your sin is he shows you God with you to be everything you need in that place. Sin is unbelief. 
in the goodness of God towards you. And the Holy Spirit reproves you of that sin by showing you God with you and the goodness in his heart towards you. That's how he reproves it. You can see the whole dynamic in Jesus with the woman caught in the act of adultery. That's Jesus was reproving her of sin. And how did he reprove her of sin? He removed the accusation. And he removed the sentence of death that was hanging over her. And how did that reprove her of sin? She was busy dwelling in unbelief. She didn't believe that God was with her to be the father of her life. She didn't believe God was with her to justify her or to satisfy the longing that she had for life. And so she was fornicating with her own works, trying to satisfy her own desire for life. And there she is naked in the midst of the temple. And there's the Pharisees who are of their father, the devil, accusing her, demanding that she be put to death. Well, Jesus reproved her of her unbelief. How did he reprove her of her unbelief? He was God with her. And what did God do in the place of the world saying your sin and your death have separated you from your God? God's like, here I am. He reproved her by removing the accusation. He reproved her by justifying her and removing the sentence of death. That's how he reproved her. And he comforted her. That's the, that's the comfort that comes. You comfort somebody by revealing God with them. And you reveal what God did to destroy death. That's how you comfort somebody. The carnal mind don't want to hear that. The carnal mind can't comprehend that. Right? Do you guys follow that dynamic with the Holy Spirit? The comforter? The ministry of the Holy Spirit? The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to, to comfort. The way it reproves of sin is it comforts us. And the way that it comforts us is by revealing God with us to clothe upon us with the life we long for. It reproves us of sin by revealing God with us to war against the death that is warring against us. That's how it reproves us of sin. Because listen, if we were sitting in unbelief, not believing that God was with us because of everything we see going around, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and shows us how God is with us and how God has a grace in his hand that is superabounded over the death that's warring against us and how he condemned death. Listen, man, all of a sudden I won't be dwelling in unbelief anymore. All of a sudden I'll be believing in the Father real good, right? That's the reproving of sin. It's the removing of unbelief from someone's heart. And the unbelief that it removes from their heart is the unbelief in God's goodness towards them to serve them with life. That's what unbelief is. Unbelief is you're busy trying to serve yourself with life because you don't see the goodness of God to serve you with life free from your works. And the way the Holy Spirit reproves you of that unbelief is he comes and guides you into the place where you can see God with you to conquer your sin and your death and to give you the life you've always longed for. That's the whole thing. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. And when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. Whatsoever things I have revealed to you. Now listen, that's the Gospel of John. And Jesus just spent the previous 15 chapters revealing the goodness of the Father to everyone. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I didn't come to talk of myself. I came to speak of the Father, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was 
God. And the word put on human flesh to reveal God to all the people because no one had seen the heart of the Father except for the Son. He had come to declare the goodness in the Father's heart towards righteous people. No, the goodness in the Father's heart towards sinners. And so Jesus had been walking around the whole Gospel of John showing the people the love in the Father's heart for sinners. He heals the blind guy. He, the woman caught in the act of adultery. The, the, the thief steals, kills, and destroys. But when I show up, I show up with abundant life in my hands to give you. And so Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he's going to guide you into the revelation of the goodness in the Father's heart towards you. That though iniquity had been causing death to reign over you, the grace in the Father's life, the strength in the Father's hand had superabounded over the death that come upon your body and upon this earth. And that grace in the Father's hand will lift you up out of the miry clay and seat you above the death, and death will become your footstool. You'll have no more sting in your heart. You'll have the comforting hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit had been poured out from the very depth of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the depth of the Father's being and His compassion for human beings. And we see this in Jesus when He's nailed to the cross in Psalm 23, when He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into the earth to prepare a table for us while we're in the midst of a world that's surrounded by death. And what is the table the Holy Spirit prepares for us? It's the table full of God's life. The life that He sowed into the earth through the man, Jesus Christ. And in the midst of the death we see, the Holy Spirit is interceding in our hearts, serving us the table of life, or showing us, or feeding us the bread that God poured out on us from heaven in Jesus. And that's why thy rod and thy staff, they do what? They comfort me. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit interceding in his heart when he was circled by death. And the Holy Spirit reminding him of the Father. And the Holy Spirit serving up the bread of life to Jesus when he's nailed to the cross. That's the, the spirit of truth. He will guide you in. I've spent these three years of ministry showing you the goodness of the Father towards you, not when you get it right, but when you're dead in sin. I spent the last three years walking around with you, not just as a man, but as God with you in human flesh. And all I've done as I've walked around with you, as God with you, is I've done good and been good to everyone. I've been God with you. I can only ever be myself. And the way God is with sinners is he justifies them. God justifies them. How does he justify them? He gives them his life. And his life superabounds over death. And when their heart can be stung by the word of a life that superabounds over death, and they can see that that life came from the Father's love for them, listen, man, they'll be comforted. And they'll see a table full of life in the presence of their enemy. It says death is the last enemy, isn't it? Well, what does it mean that God prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies? They, though, yea, though I walk through a valley shadowed by death. Yea, though I'm living in a world that's full of death. And that death is always trying to accuse me and accuse God. Listen, man, I see that God has prepared a table of his life for me in the midst of my enemies circling around me and gnashing their teeth at me and telling me, where is your God now? Where is my God now? My God got it right to get inside of me. And now God is now interceding in my heart and showing me the bread of life that he's feeding me daily. Right? And I have comfort. 
You see? And that's why out of your mouth would come things like, The Lord hath not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted one. Neither is his face hid from me, but he hears me when I cry out to him. You see, that's what comes out of the mouth of a person who has received from the hand of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what will come out of the mouth of a person who has been reproved of sin who has been reproved of God's righteousness towards them, who has seen that the prince of this world has been judged. His words have been judged. His life has been judged. The death that he was using to take us captive has been crushed, right? And the Holy Spirit is like, I know this death, it looks so big. I know it looks real scary. I don't crush that thing. And he shows it to you. He shows you the head of the serpent crushed. He shows you the body of death having bled out every last drop of blood. He, 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 he crucifies the death that's in this world in your heart. He comes and guides you in the place where the death that you think is taking from you and destroying you. He comes and shows you in your heart how God nailed that death to a tree. And that death becomes crucified in your midst. And it heals your whole spirit, soul, and body from the sting of death. And all of a sudden, you feel the comforting hand of God with you. You feel the comfort that comes from seeing that God was with me. He is with me, warring against the death that was warring against me. Hallelujah. Right? And that's the only thing you need to know. You don't need to know about, I love what Harvey said, I see that was a trap. You know, who freaking cares why me and not them? Who cares why them and not me? And that's what Jesus is actually saying. That don't freaking matter, man. You think you're more blessed than they are because a tower fell on them and the tower didn't fall on you? You're going to die too. You're going to perish too unless you repent from trusting in the strength of your flesh for life. Right? That's what matters. And that's the the ministering of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out. That's why it's called comforter. God actually did something to condemn the death that torments all of us. He actually did something to condemn it. And the only thing that will comfort us when we encounter death in the world or lack or tribulation is for us to be led to the place where we see that though iniquity was causing death to reign over us, our God has a life in himself that superabounds over death and leaves death in the place where it doesn't exist anymore. And my God has gotten it right to get that life inside of me. And now my heart becomes filled with the life that consumes death. And I see God as a consuming fire. And I see that God has baptized me in the fire of his life. And I see the fire of his life that's in me is not dormant, it's burning. And it's burning up all of the death that tries to come against me. And it will consume every remnant of death that tries to come against my spirit, my soul, or my body. Hallelujah. And now I'm comforted, right? The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Holy Spirit poured out to show us that the Lord rebuked the accusation of the serpent. I, I know the devil's telling you God ain't with you, but look, there's Jesus. That's the same guy they said God wasn't with. Look at him. Oh, yeah. And the, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. He rebuked the devourer. And when he rebuked death, he rebuked the word of the serpent. He judged against the serpent's accusation. He judged against the serpent's wisdom. He judged against, he condemned the serpent when he took the serpent's death and nailed it to the tree inside of the flesh of Jesus. And now we watch the serpent's death that he was using to accuse us with all the time. We watch the life run out of the death he used to accuse us in Jesus' body. 
You know what Jesus' body starts declaring to us? The death of death. You know what will make all of you feel real happy when you run into trauma? If you see that that trauma is lifeless, you to see that death is not being alive, you to see that death has having been buried, right? That will comfort you. And that's really what people need, right? That's a hard walk, though, in this world, because most people, when they're encountering trauma, don't want to hear none of that. The world would tell us that death is the very end. Spirit of truth tells us it's the beginning. We've already died. I'm already living eternity. Yeah. And that changes everything. Yeah. You see the beginning from the end. Yep. That's why the Holy Spirit called the comforter. And so but everybody twist on that. I know we, we, we read the reproving of sin, and we think it's like a bad thing. Right, like we we've been taught to think of sin as a bad behavior, and now the reproving of sin is God coming and wagging His finger at us, like He's ashamed of what we've done, and now He's going to tell us about all the shame He feels. Right, but Jesus just finished calling the Holy Spirit the Comforter, and so whatever we want to think about what the reproving of sin means, it's got to bring us comfort. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't have just said the Holy Spirit's the comforter. So the reproving of sin has got to be a thing that comforts us. And I promise you, when we encounter death, sin is trying to tell us that God isn't with us. The reproving of sin is the Holy Spirit intercedes and is like, oh yeah, he's with you. You're in him and he's in you. And you're, yeah. Right? And now he sends unbelief away from you. Your heart is kept by the ministering of the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing Paul describes in Romans 8. When he talks about the Holy Spirit interceding in our hearts. He says, what can convince me I'm separated from the love of God now? Neither peril, neither famine, neither shipwreck, neither drowning in the ocean, neither sword, neither snake bitten. None of these things can ever convince me that God's far from me anymore. Because the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the one who comforts, the one who the Father poured out from the deepest part of his being into the earth to comfort me, that Holy Spirit intercedes in my heart when I encounter the trauma. And that Holy Spirit shows me the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. God, having gotten out of the death of the grave by the hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit reminds me that that man is seated there because of the Father's love for me. And that that man is the evidence the Father is with me. And that the Father will uphold my life. And that the Father loves me. Right? And that's what we all need. I'm telling you. We think we need for the death not to be there. And I'm sorry, I'm going to speak lofty right now. Like a human whose life has been born from above. We think what we need is for the death to be gone. And then we can be happy. Listen, man, what we need is to know God is with us. And I'm not saying the death can't ever go away. And I'm not saying we can't send it away. And we can't see it go away sometimes. But I'm telling you, what we actually need is just to know that the God who doesn't have a beginning and an end, the God that was manifested in the man Jesus, that God is with us in the midst of everything. And if we become fully persuaded and we see that God with us when we're encountering everything, that's what we need. That's what we need. That's where the comfort that we need is found. And my life is a testimony. I, I don't like, how do I want to say this? It morphed because of how I tried to deal with it. 
I've done, I hate seeing people hurt and I, I hate hurting myself. And the reason why is because I thought it was a sign that something is not as it ought to be, like me or God. And I, I went out of my way to avoid pain so badly that when I was learning how to walk, I decided that I don't want the pain of falling down. And so I learned how to walk with a, t- a tire uh, pump. And I walked around with that thing because I don't have to fall down and take the blows. <laughs> so no one hates pain more than me. And then I tried to conquer my hatred for pain by calling myself the king of pain. And I put myself through great suffering, thinking that eventually I'll suffer so much, pain won't bother me no more. And so I've spent more time trying to keep away from pain, trying to structure my life in a way that it could be saved from anything bad ever happening. I used the world's way and I used the gospel to try to do that. And I was always trying to heap comfort unto myself. But what I found is, that the only thing that's actually comforted me from the pain is when I stopped trying to avoid the pain and when I started fellowshipping with the God that's with me in the midst of the pain. That's what actually has comforted me. And it's actually worked in the way where I no even more care about if the pain is there. I no more even care about whether or not I feel the pain. I care about the God who's with me in the midst of the pain. And I'm caught up in his thoughts. I'm caught up in his life. And I'm caught up in the warfare that he waged against the death that's bothering me. And I'm caught up in the fact that I'm braided together as one with him. And I'm caught up in the fact that he's in me and I'm in him. And therein is the comfort that I was always looking for. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, man, it was really good seeing you. Good seeing you. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yep. It's just so much better than trying to escape the pain. Because <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. No, no. And it'll torment you. Even the escapism. Not just the pain, but the escapism. You'll feel as if something's not right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, right? They shall be comforted. And what it means is, is when we encounter trauma, we see that we need comfort. The problem is many times the carnal mind comes with an answer to what will comfort. And then we start thinking that's what we need. Like when Jesus was on the cross, his flesh felt so uncomfortable, it was obscene. He needed comfort. And the world came to him with a sponge, with an elixir that had something that could comfort his flesh. And they gave it to him. And Jesus spit it out because he realized the only thing that could comfort him was the Father's life. And the knowing that the Father was with him to overcome this death in his body. He hungered and thirsted after the ability of God to comfort Listen, guys, God possesses the ability to comfort you to the uttermost from anything you could ever encounter. He does. He possesses the ability. And his comfort isn't the kind of comfort that's at the mercy of everything going right for you. So it's not like if something goes wrong, whoops, that's it. The comfort's out the window. No, his comfort possesses the ability to even comfort you in the midst of something happening to you. It could even comfort you. And the gospel is designed to reprove of sin, meaning that it removes the unbelief in our hearts, the idea that the comfort we need isn't found in God. That if God was really with us to comfort us, then he wouldn't have let this happen. 
as if his power to comfort is found in this not happening. His power to comfort is not found in something not coming to my house, right? And what happens is, is the Holy Spirit reminds me of this. And then far from my heart is removed the idea of I'm going to comfort myself. And now my heart starts hungering and thirsting, not after God with me, but it starts looking to the comfort that's in the hand of God, right? Tell them that where their iniquity was abounding, the mercy in my hand is twice as much as their sin. That's what it's actually saying there. Because when you see death, listen, you think, oh, man. Oh, woe is us. Right? And God's like, no, no, no. Tell them that within my hand is a mercy that's twofold the time of their iniquity. Right? And it's the same kind of thing Paul come and said where, um, I think it's at the end of Romans 5. And that's Paul interpreting those verses. I can't say this enough. Paul's letters, James, Peter, if you like studying the scriptures, those guys interpret the doctrine in the Bible. That's what they're doing. That's why they wrote those letters. And so they're interpreting things like Isaiah. They're interpreting the Gospels. They're interpreting all the doctrine. And Paul comes and says at the end of Romans 5, though sin was reigning, though sin did abound, causing death to reign over you, the grace that was in Christ did superabound unto eternal life. Paul's explaining Isaiah, where it says that. That's what Paul's talking about. That's where he got it from. He saw Isaiah interpreted in the flesh of Jesus. He saw iniquity was warring against us with death, that it was serving us with death. It was causing death to reign over us. And then he saw within God's right hand, his Christ was a grace that superabounded over our sin unto eternal life. That's what Isaiah is talking about. That will comfort you. Right? Yes, I'm comforting that. <laughs> it's been tested in my life. I mean, I don't just preach like this because I'm a fiery guy. Like, you don't see me fired up about anything else other than this. Like this. You don't see me fired up about the Saints or LSU or any of that, right? I used to be. But the reason why I'm so fired up about this gospel and what we say is because I see that it has served me with what I have always been after. It's not a theory. It's not something some guy told me might work. I've seen it manifest in my life. I've seen my heart healed from the sting of death. I've seen my life pampered by the comforting hand of God. And it's worked itself out. And that's why I preach the way that I preach. Right? Because that's what people need when they encounter death. But the carnal mind's like, oh, God must have been with you and not with them. <laughs> like Harvey said, no, God was with them too. Right. If you think that someone dying is a sign God wasn't with them, you're thinking like the carnal mind. And that's the very reason the Lord Jesus showed up to blow it up. Because here's a guy who had more death on him than anyone had ever seen. We all concluded he was smitten and stricken by God. We all concluded God wasn't with him. Why? Because of our unbelief in the goodness of the Father. Right? That's what we all concluded. But then what happened? God took that guy out of the grave. And look where he sat that guy. Never to be able to die again. 
And in him raising Jesus up out of the grave, he vowed a vow to all of us. That's God vowing a vow to your life. That's God getting down on one knee and proposing to you and him vowing to care for your life. And, you know, many times, like when, like when I wanted to marry Becky and I went to talk to her, her dad about it, what's your intentions towards my daughter? Right? Only good. Only good. And when God raised Jesus up out of the grave, it was him putting on display his intentions towards us. He didn't just come with a proposal. He came with a vow. And then he showed us what that vow looks like and the intent in his heart with our life. Should we say yes to his proposal in the resurrected man, Jesus? And the Holy, he doesn't just leave that, that transaction, if you want to call it that, alone. He pours out the spirit of himself into the earth to dwell inside of us, to all the time remind us of the vow he vowed to us, to all the time bring about inside of our hearts the memory of his faithfulness, the memory of his love for us, the power of his life, the strength contained in his grace. Because listen, man, when your mind is filled with the grace in God's hand to serve you with life, it will quiet your storm. It will. Because the storm is raging only because you think your life is over, being overcome. And the moment you behold the grace that's contained in God's hand, immediately you know nothing can overcome my life. Immediately you're like, it's, it's like laughing gas, right? You go to the dentist to get laughing gas so you don't feel the pain. It's like immediately when you see the grace in God's hand to overcome death, man, it's like a, a laughing gas for you where you're no longer busy thinking about the pain because all you can see is that this can't overcome my life. Mm. I mean, they gave Jesus like an elixir of alcohol and stuff to numb the pain. That's what they handed him. They spit it out. You think he didn't want comfort? Oh, he wanted comfort. You think he didn't need comfort? Oh, he needed comfort. Where did he find the comfort that he needed? You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. He's telling us where he found comfort. He's saying in the midst of death, circling him about, God prepared a table for him. What was that table full of? Life. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's talking about finding comfort, man. Right? Good question, Harvey. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions about the ministry of the Holy Spirit? You know, it's something you hear theoretically all the time, but that's the closest I've ever come to death that I know of. Yeah. So that's when I started thinking that, you know, or let's say people sure. were just congratulating me on being alive and, yeah. and then saying it. And like I said, I had that thought that, uh, why me and not them, or why them and not me? And then it's like, wait, wait, you know, mm -hmm. I know that's a trap. Mm -hmm. And uh, and well, I had to see Greg. Though I saw something on the internet the uh, the other day. I, I don't know Facebook or whatever it is. I got these videos, and this airliner crashed, and one person survived on a whole airline, and that person felt like. This was a sign to them that they were something special, 
they had maybe done something special. I'm, I'm not even sure. It doesn't really matter too much how they interpret it. But it was as if it was assigned to them. And it's not that we don't go through experiences. And there's some form of enlightenment or understanding that we develop because we experience that experience. We do. There can be something there to that. But that that person was the fortunate one and the ones that died were not is thinking by the carnal mind because there were a lot of good people on that airplane that probably perished and their lives were not lost. I mean, if you have eternal life, you, you were not lost. You, you are the blessed of God even though you died in that airplane. So for a person who lived, to look back at them and say, you know, I must be special because I lived. And those people, well, maybe they were cursed of God because they died. Maybe they were all sinners or whatever. You know, it, it is not thinking with a righteous judgment. A righteous judgment would say, we're all blessed because of what Jesus did for us. And when you're thinking like that, you can begin to uh, rationalize and understand what's happening in these types of events from a much clearer perspective. Otherwise, you're trying to exalt yourself or base yourself about something. Yeah, when you, when you say, uh, I've been blessed, I used to wait for God's blessing. If right. something good happened, right. I've been blessed. Right. If it was bad, well, I wasn't blessed, right? right. Instead of knowing that I have everything in life pertaining to life, I have it all already. Amen. I am completely blessed. Absolutely. Yep. The it's blessing kind of funny blessing. to think if a person dies, then God wasn't with them. When we all die, mm-hmm. <laughs> every single person's all died. Right. So. Right. Absolutely. So you can have a lot and be blessed, and you can have a little and be blessed. Mm-hmm. You can just be blessed. <laughs> and listen, that's a good place to be in because. The person that has a lot, someday may not have a lot. And if 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 having a lot had you to be blessed, you would feel cursed. But you don't have to live a life like that. You, you're always teetering on the brink if you live in a life like that. Yeah, I mean, that's the reproving of sin, right? Is so that we we could have that thought that comes. So he's blessed and he's not. Yeah. Removed far from. That's right. And see that the Father has drawn near to all of us and poured out on everyone the blessing of his life. Right. And guess what? When people hear that message, they might actually believe. Absolutely. They might actually believe if they hear that message. If they hear it that way, yeah, they might actually believe. (laughs) And and in the midst of, of staring down trauma, you hear that there's a life that overcomes trauma is the comforting thing. And, I mean, that's the, again, that's what the, the Holy Spirit looks like. Take, take John 16, where it talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and look at that in the life of Adam. Right? And you can get a great picture of what's being talked about. What does the reproving of sin look like between God and Adam after Adam eats from the tree? And there's Adam doing what? Trying to clothe himself 
And why would he be trying to clothe himself? Because he was in unbelief. He didn't believe that God was there with him to clothe upon him. And so how did God reprove him of that? He showed up and clothed him. You can see why that might comfort a guy. Right? And so we have such, such diabolical understanding of what these things mean when they're actually with the intent to, com to comfort. God reproved Adam's sin by showing up and clothing him. And when Adam saw that God was with him to clothe him, Adam began believing on God. Where do you think Seth learned about God from? And I could just see Adam teaching Seth and Adam telling Seth, when I saw my nakedness, listen, man, I thought for sure it was a sign that I wasn't blessed by God. I mean, there I am, death all in my body. I see, and then I tried to clothe myself and thorns and thistles were everywhere. There was no fruit of God's light. I thought for sure that it was a sign God wasn't with me. He's all, but listen, Seth. God, right when I was thinking God wasn't there and that this death came upon me by the hand of God and that God was warring against me because of my disobedience, right in that place, God showed up and God didn't spank me. God actually clothed upon me by a lamb that he provided. I didn't even have to work to go get the lamb myself. God provided a lamb and clothed upon me with the lambskin, Seth. And Seth, immediately the fear was removed from my heart. And I just felt the comforting hand of God upon my life. And I saw that God is Father. You can just see Adam telling Seth about all this. Because him being on both sides, right? Before and then God showing up in clothing. You imagine the shock in Adam when God showed up and clothed him. Imagine the thoughts going on in Adam's mind at that moment as God's coming. Imagine what he's thinking. And then God clothes him. It's like one Mardi Gras when we left... Uh, the middle of New Orleans, we got detoured um, through a uh, less than desirable section of town. And we got stopped in the middle of it. And a, a guy come running up to the window and <sighs> reached out. He reached in his pocket like that. And he, we, I thought for sure that guy was pulling out a gun. And he pulled out a camera and he <laughs> took pictures of it. I said, I ain't never seen no college boys in the projects before. <laughs> and he took our picture. Uh, but we didn't think he was about to pull out a camera. Yeah. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And so I could see Adam sitting there naked, having tried to clothe upon himself and not being able to clothe upon himself, knowing he ate from the tree and him hearing God's voice. Adam, where are you? You can just imagine Adam's eyes getting all big, thinking, oh my gosh, he's about to come smite me. And there's God reaching for his pocket, and Adam's eyes are getting bigger, and then God pulls out a lambskin and closes it. Oh. That's the reproving of sin. Yeah. That's, the, that's the reproving of righteousness. That was God judging the prince of this world, because the prince of this world was accusing Adam and accusing God to Adam. Where's your God now? Look at you if he'll have you. That, that's the whole uh, John 16 in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can see the whole thing in the picture of Adam and the woman caught in adultery. You know, uh, I, I don't know if you ever have seen a fig tree or felt a fig leaf. Mm -hmm. But a fig leaf, is it's a strange thing. It's just got this prickly feeling to it. It's, listen, 
You make clothing out of fig leaves, and it is a very prickly, (laughs) not nice thing, okay? So Adam fashioned a garment from fig leaves. Unbelievable. And this prickly thing. And then God removed that and replaced it with this soft, comforting, probably the, the, the softest thing you could possibly put on a human body, the lambskin. And, and that's the difference between us trying to clothe ourselves with prickly things mm-hmm. rather than what God chooses to clothe us with. That's right. His life. It's like we're trying to clothe ourselves with poison ivy and stuff. That's right. <laughs> That's about right. About the same thing. And you know, why would we be surprised? That he even says, the world is going to come against you. Yeah. Circumstances yeah. are going to be bad. Yeah. But, you know, and when I first read it, considered all joy, I totally didn't understand that. How could I consider that joy? But now, when I see his presence in, in, the, in those circumstances... Oh I fall God. in love with him again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Give us eyes to see. That's why Jesus, that's why that's the restoring of the blind. Right? We didn't have eyes to see God with us because of the carnal mind. The death in the world had darkened our understanding. And so we were blind to the fact that God was with us. And we were like, oh, who sinned that this guy's blind? Right? We're busy asking the wrong questions. I look, same thing with the tower that fell. Jesus is, they asked Jesus, well, who, who, who sinned that this guy was born blind? Him or his parents? Well, listen, the guy was born blind. I don't know how it could have been him. But Jesus is like, that ain't got nothing to do with why we come upon this blind guy. But you, that you might see God is the friend of sinners. Yeah. Boom. It's good seeing you guys. He healed them. There's God with you. Right? Amen. Opening the eyes. Amen. Glory to God. Anybody else have any thoughts? Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you guys so much for coming and sitting and talking Jesus. Yeah. With me, with all of us. It's so nice to see you guys. I still have Thank this, you guys online. I still have the CD that says three years ago that you said, I would like to do this one day. Do you remember that? Yeah. The round table? Mm-hmm. Aw. Glory to God. Well, thank you guys for watching. Yeah. Amen. Until we meet again. Be blessed. Thank you, Jesus.